Colossians chapter 1. Oh, thank you, mate. Pretty kind. Can you hear me clear enough? Yeah. Am I coming through? Colossians chapter 1. Well, Colossians chapter 1. I want to explain a bit of, uh, kind of some of the setting of what, um, of what Paul's up to here. Just explain some more of the background of the letter. One of the big things, we don't get all the details about what Paul is saying to the people of this church in Colossae. Um, but we can get some clues as we read through the letter. And what is the main issue of what's going on in this place that Paul feels a need? There's a reason why he's writing. It's not just a pen pal thing. There's a reason why he's writing to this church. He's got a father's heart for this church. And he's aware that at the time, around them, in their networks, in the people they come across, or just in their city, there, are, there is either a spiritual guide, or maybe plural, maybe spiritual guides, but there are some, there's a person or some people who are promoting false philosophies that is just starting to seep into the consciousness of the church. This is a danger for us today. The stuff we hear on the TV, the stuff we read in the papers, we're told this is true, or we're increasingly a secular world. We're, we're not far behind Scandinavia in terms of how secular, how non-faith, non-spiritual our beliefs are. Without realising, innocently, that can seep into the church. Just our views and our perspectives on things. And that can affect us. And Paul's aware this is kind of thing is happening in and around the church in Colossae at the time, which is why he feels there's a need to write. Like I say, we can't pin down precise details of what he's speaking against, but we can pick up clues that this is going on. And this spiritual um, uh, uh, kind of guide or guides, they're promoting a philosophy or philosophies that devalue Jesus. And he's like, I've got to write. I can't get there in time. I can't email them. This isn't 2012. He knew all about that. He said he wanted to write just to get to the point of what's going on here and he needed to address it. He doesn't at any point minimise the spiritual dimension but neither does he minimise demonic activity and the dangers of it but he doesn't speak so much into the details of it because he doesn't feel he needs to. He doesn't go, they believe this, 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 this and this and that's wrong because of this, 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 this. He doesn't deconstruct it. He doesn't need to. What he does is, bigs up Jesus. It's the best weapon we've got for dealing with false philosophies, false beliefs and keeping us stuck with that plumb line of truth. Big up Jesus. Let me explain why. As we big up Jesus as supreme, the bigger Jesus is in your world, the smaller your fears. The bigger Jesus is in your world, the more you're able to view the world from his perspective and not yours or maybe someone else's because they seem clever and they must know what they're talking about. The bigger Jesus is in your world, the less attractive are your sinful habits. Who likes Indiana Jones? Yay! Four Indiana Jones films, I love them. Well, I like three and a half of them, but that's another story. Right, in the very first film, Indiana Jones, if you don't know him, he's an intrepid archaeologist-come-adventurer. He's a bit of a dude, I'd love to have his hat and uh, not so much his whip. But he, he travels the world looking for artefacts and gets into all sorts of shenanigans with Nazis and communists and strange Indian temple guys. But in the very first film, he comes across an old flame, Marion. 
They had a fling when she was very young and he broke her heart. And, they, and that's already happened before the film. In the first film, we get to meet them, see them when they, their paths cross again. She gives them right a good slap around the face. <laughs> but by the end of the film, they're in love again. They're an item. Yay! Indy and Marion are back together. He's always held a torch for her. She's always held a torch for him. Brilliant, they're together. By film three, she's nowhere. He's with someone else. Come film four, 20 years after the first film it's set, their paths cross again. Marion's back. And all this time, he's had other women, but all this time he's held a torch for her. She's held a torch for him. And they start having a bit of a barney when they first meet. They've been kidnapped by the communists in the back of this truck being taken somewhere. And she's going, I suppose you've had other women, haven't you? He was like, well, yeah, I've had a few. He goes, well, where are they now? He goes, well, they're not around. Well, what's so different about them? He goes, they weren't you. That's the thing about Jesus. When we recognise that the sin I enjoy, because sinful, sin is, enjoy, is enjoyable, if it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. The Bible's quite honest about that. The sin I enjoy, it's not you, Lord. The things I worry about and that keep me awake, but you're bigger than that, Lord. It's not you. Do you see the difference? The harder you try to not sin by not sinning, you'll still sin. And it's wise to have boundaries in place, to be self-disciplined, to avoid places or areas, spaces that can draw you into temptation. That's wise, that's good. But the harder you keep looking at the list of don'ts and avoiding those list of don'ts, you still won't keep stop, you won't stop yourself from sinning. The heart is deceitful above all things and you will find a way to convince yourself it's still alright to sin. Avoiding sinning isn't the answer to avoiding sinning. The answer is that they're not you. And that's what, we, that's what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1. This is why he bigs up Jesus. We're going to read that whole passage again in a minute. And that's why we believe for the, next, for the current seven or eight sermons at the moment it's good to concentrate on Jesus. Not because it's the, just the dutiful thing to do and the Bible says we should. Well, that, there's a reason why. Big up Jesus and everything else. All those other women just aren't the same falls into place. So let's read the middle section of Colossians chapter 1 and then we'll pray and then we'll look at one verse, one and a half verses. So we're going to go from from verse 13 again where John started a couple of weeks back and we will go through to verse 20 for now. Verse 13, Colossians 1 For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Julian shared that a couple of weeks back. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Lord Jesus, I, I am so grateful for Paul's big perspective of you. Lord, I thank you how massive you were in his heart and his mind and his spirit. Everything he did, everything he said seeped of you. And Lord, I just yearn to have that in my life, in my heart. Sometimes I belittle you, sometimes I put you in a little box 
There's a temptation just to save you for Sundays. But Lord, help us to gain such a big perspective of you that even just this morning, that you might stride in and break the things that hold us back. That you might stride in and, and almost burst out of that box. You're too big to be contained, Lord, and we don't want to do that in our sinful way, in our, in our sinful thoughts to contain you. You're too big. Lord, let us have a bigger perspective of you as we walk out these doors. In your name we pray. Amen. So, which aspect are we going to look at today? Uh, The second half of verse 15 and then majoring on verse 16. He is the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. I want to look at three aspects of Jesus as creator. And the first is the obvious one about what he's done, what he's created, about the universe and creation in general. Because we all love to know where we come from, don't we? One of mine and Amy's favourite things to do is tell Amy's story. We love doing this. It starts with two men in the war, World War II, one serving in France, one serving in North Africa. I tell some of the tales of what they got up to during the war and they came home back to their wives, they're already married, back to their wives and they have some children. Those children grow up and they meet in the 60s and they fall in love and they get married and they have three kids, the eldest of whom falls in love with a beautiful girl and gets married in 1994 and they have a baby Amy in 2003. It's obviously more embellished but she loves hearing her story. She loves it. We all like to know where we come from. There's something rooted in all of us. It's all about once upon a time. That story, when I tell her the story, once upon a time, there was a man who was a soldier in North Africa. Once upon a time is in the Bible. It's called In the Beginning. And we get to hear about God's story and how our stories play a part in his big story. In Psalm 90, verse 2, says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before anything was created, there was something. The whole big question is, how can something come out of nothing? And science tries to explain that. I'm going to mention that in a minute. Something came out of nothing physically, but there was something beforehand. There was someone beforehand. And that was God. Science can't explain that. God can. He has. In the beginning, God. The implication today, for those of us who believe in a created world, the implication for us today is that that's akin to believing in conspiracy theories off the internet. It's the way most people out there would think, to be honest. There's a documentary on BBC Three this week that caused a bit of a fury on the internet about creationism. And the people who were featured probably didn't help our cause, necessarily. Some better than others, some a lot less so. And actually, it's resulted in a call for an investigation to how biased the BBC are on their reporting of faith, to be honest. But that's how we are viewed, because we believe this was created rather than happened. So the thing is, the atheist worldview, the humanist worldview today, would say, well, we don't have a sense of fairy tales. We just believe in evidence and therefore truth. An atheist worldview doesn't believe, doesn't have faith in the impossible. Really? Let me give you an overview. This is the atheist worldview of how things began. 
and infinitely dense and infinitely massive and yet at the same time, this is what science would say, and at the same time an infinitely small point of space and time. It tunnels through an infinitely high energy barrier into another point in space and time to give birth to the universe and everything else in it. They don't believe in fairy tales. <laughs> but I know. But when you act, that's, 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 what it's, that's what it boils down to. The, the quote that is often used, well, we don't believe in fairies at the bottom of the garden. Well, neither do I. But I do believe in a gardener. Big difference. So, before all things, there was nothing physical, but there was God. Who is God who was there before anything was made? This is why I wanted to start in the second half of verse 15, first of all. It just says the firstborn. This is Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. I just need to make a point of what that word means. Jehovah's Witnesses would say that means he was the first created. They believe Jesus is a created being who gained godhood. That's not true. He was God, always has been God. He never began. He's uncreated. Jehovah's Witnesses do all sorts of gymnastics with various verses. I could take you through a list of them. This is one of them. They translate firstborn as meaning he was first biologically born. He was created. Well, actually, if that word meant first created, it would be a completely different Greek word in the original text in the first place. It wouldn't be that word. It would be a Greek word that meant first created that we would then have, oh, he was the first created. But it doesn't. It said firstborn. What it means is, is about having the rights and the privileges as an heir, especially of a monarch. It's about a status. It's not about how you came about. And in fact, it's used of David. Psalm 89 verse 27 says, I, of David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Was he born before King Saul? No. This isn't referring to the chronology of when he was created. This was referring to his status. I'm going to make King David the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So just to make a point, firstborn doesn't mean when Jesus was created, he is uncreated. He's always and has always been God. It just means he's the firstborn in terms of his rights and privileges as the heir to the Father. So Jesus was already there before anything was created. So then what? Turn to John chapter 1. Here's another favourite that Jehovah's Witnesses like to do some strange gymnastics with. I'm not going into the specifics of that, but it doesn't work. But John chapter 1, first three verses, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you continue through the final, he's talking about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Just in case you didn't get the first bit, just to make sure. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, he goes on. In the beginning was the Word. Like I say, this is another one that the Jehovah's Witnesses like to play around with to make out that he wasn't God initially, he was a God that was created. But it says, through him all things were made. If Jesus was ever created, how can all things be made through him but he'd already been created? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. All things were made through Jesus. Jesus was involved in creation right at the start. 
And also in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, for your notes if you're scribbling, says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, here we go again, all things came and through whom we live. Jesus himself was directly involved in creation as much as the Father. Quite often we read Genesis chapter 1 and think about, in the beginning, God, we think Father. And there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit standing watching, giving him applause at the right moments. Jesus was involved. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to get you jumping a little bit, but not too much. Let's slow down in a sec. It's good to see these for yourselves. Don't just take my word for it that they're in there. Genesis chapter 1. First couple of verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there as well. All three members of the Trinity, the three-part God, who were never created, were there already, they were all actively involved. There is another psalm, I'll mention again later, Psalm 104, verse 30, says, When you send your Spirit, to referring to animals, beasts, When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. God sends his spirit to make things. See, the Father and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all actively involved in creation. Creation is Trinitarian. I've done it before. You read, in the beginning, God, there's Father. Don't think about it. In the beginning, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there and created. All working together. No observers, all active. How? By his word. Verse 3, and God, what? And God spoke, or and God said. It's by his word, by his command that things come into being. God breathes things into life. He said that uh, the light and all the way, verse 6, you got, and God said. And verse 9, and God said. It keeps on happening. See, Jesus isn't called the word in John chapter 1 for no reason. Put those two together. Jesus is called the Word because he is the outworking of God's commands. He actions them. So the Father ordains, the Son actions, and the Holy Spirit fuels. I can't explain any more than that because it's a mystery because it's God. But you can see a beautiful choreography going on, a beautiful interplay going on. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit are active in creation. And there's something to get excited about. Brilliant. It's unique. So many other faiths believe in God created, but it's just God. We have the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Our God is unique, our God is specific, our God is three persons that you can relate to and speak to and live a life in. That's the God that created. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Something to get excited about. See, this is essential truth in an age that denies God's existence or God's involvement in the cosmos right now or the microcosmos, the big and the small. Atheism struggles to explain patterns in the cosmos and in the microcosmos. There's patterns everywhere. And the way mathematics works, mathematics is beautiful. Sometimes it blows my mind. But how numbers interplay, particularly in physics, when you're related to the natural order, these patterns emerge. And that just happened, really? Maybe there's a big fingerprint behind it all? Atheism, as a result, also struggles to give us hope and to give us reason and to give us identity. Understanding Father, Son and Holy Spirit created all things and are still involved gives us 
hope and reason and identity. Science isn't God, as much as many believe so, but science does allow us as Christians to marvel at what he's done and what he's doing. Don't, don't ignore science or chuck it away or ignore its findings <coughs> and what it says, but debate with it and allow it to help you marvel at what God's been doing. You get to find out more. We're going to have a little game in a little while. We're going to celebrate creation. There's some numbers in a bit. Science doesn't disprove God either. Quite often God likes to confound science with coincidences, in inverted commas, or miracles. Remember Maxine's broken wrist? We put the pictures up on, up on the screen. Now Maxine and Shana, she broke her wrist. It's quite a clear broken wrist after prayer. A not broken wrist. She showed, she, we, we met up with her recently. She said she showed it to some doctors. Oh, a friend of hers showed it to a bunch of doctors. And they gathered around and looked at the original one and they straight away go, oh, blimey, that's, oh, that's terrible. That's a bad fracture. And they went, look at this one a few days later. And this, other, this doctor, he took one look at it and he just walked away. He said, I can't, I can't deal with it. It confounds science quite often when God's at work. Because he's the God of science. Science isn't God. God has science. There are ongoing thoughts. I don't want to spend too much on the science today. This isn't a lecture. If you want to hear more about evolution versus creation, listen to John's sermon from two years ago, 2010. It's on the website. And Hebrews 11 verse 3. Excellent stuff. Really, really, really helpful. But I'll just mention a few bits in a minute. But I don't want to spend too long on the science of it because I just want to celebrate Jesus. Make him big, not the science again. But there's a few things I just want to mention. There are ongoing thoughts all the time in science, particularly about the age of the universe, 13 point something billion years, apparently, so science says, because of ageing of rocks and other stuff. What is ignored is that there, are, there is evidence in our solar system, even close to home, let alone further afield, that this is possibly a young universe. But that is ignored. There are young comets. that would have been young comets at the time when the universe was created. Well, they're still young now. How did that happen? Actually, the distance of the moon to the earth is always pulling away from the earth at a steady rate. If you trace that backwards <laughs> to, the, to the time scale that they're talking about for evolution, the moon and the earth would have been one big mass. It doesn't, it, the moon couldn't have pulled away. It's pulled away in a shorter space of time than science tends to suggest. I don't want to go into numbers, but it's safe to say there is evidence that we have a young universe as well. But there are things, and I just want to explain this, we can take confidence in the Genesis account. Science does uphold it. Sometimes science appears to contradict it. Let's chat about it. Let's read those books and discuss it. But I need to point something out. Particularly about the ageing of the universe. They age rocks using carbon dating and other forms of dating. Those are the numbers that flag up. We need to be aware that there is a possibility in the process of those rocks coming into being that there could have been an accelerated moment. So they could read as so old, but there was a huge acceleration in their ageing at one point that's being ignored. So they're not actually as old as the readings appear. Does that make sense? There is something that explains that. And I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Massive climate change and ice ages. Even in a shorter time scale, there is something that explains those being able to happen. In terms of fossilisation, your cat dies in the garden, it won't be fossilised, it'll just crumble to dust. Fossilisation happens by a process, an instant process of something happening at the time. 
that is explainable. Continental shift. You put all our continents as a jigsaw, you can see how they've drifted apart and make a perfect jigsaw. Massive continental shift is possible because of something. Magnetic direction in rocks. Sometimes in rocks they find sudden shifts in the magnetic, complete 180 degree shift in the magnetic direction in rocks and then back again in an instant and I have no idea how it happens. There is something that explains that. And also the strata in rocks. You know the layers in rocks? If you're looking at a massive time scale and an evolutionary process, that would be a gradual change, wouldn't it? But these are layer and then another type, layer and then another type, layer. Well, how do those layers happen if it's a gradual process? Even just those six things, there is something that explains those and it will be a massive cataclysmic global catastrophe, a flood. You can take confidence in the Genesis account. You might be thought of as idiots, but you don't need to feel like them. You can take confidence in it. This, in fact, that's why I bought this book. If you ever want to read The New Creationism by Paul Gardner, helps explain all that. He's a friend of a friend. This is excellent. Really helpful. To be fair, read Dennis Alexander's Creation versus Evolution. Read the other side as well. To be fair, read the stuff we don't necessarily agree with and get your head around it. It's good, it's wise. But this is a really helpful book and stuff like that. We can take confidence in the Genesis account. Just because we believe in Genesis chapter 1 and onwards doesn't mean we're throwing science out the window. That's what I'm saying. But what I would say is two things. We can debate old earth versus young earth, time scales. We can debate it till the cows come home. Or till they evolve, depending on what you believe. <laughs> I have those conversations, they're valid. And I'm happy, if you want to talk about those kind of things more later, I'm happy to, I'd love to. But what I would say is don't let go of the fundamental things. And I'll say two things. First of all, beware of the can of worms effect. Just embracing evolution because science says so opens up a can of worms as to who were Adam and Eve then, which the New Testament is very clear on, not just the Old Testament. Evolution would say there was no Adam and Eve. Things just evolved and became and there was lots of them. Well, if there were no Adam and Eve, how did the fall happen? And if that softens how the fall happened or didn't happen, then that affects everything Jesus did on the cross. It softens sin or removes it. Just be aware, just embracing an all-encompassing scientific theory, beware of the can of worms and what it can actually mean to the rest of what you believe. We'll be very, very, very careful. So I would say be very careful of that. Remember, if they want scientific evidence, talk about the resurrection. There's scientific evidence, there's historical evidence, there's philosophical evidence for the resurrection. It's the make or break of Christianity and it happened. I'm not going to go into a whole list of reasons for the resurrection. It happened, science can't explain it and it's the make or break of Christianity. There's evidence straight away. That's the first thing I'd say. Beware of the can of worms effect and embrace what what we can hold on to. We mustn't let go of these things. But then secondly, let us as believers take confidence in the Genesis 1 account and celebrate it. Even if we disagree on some of the minor details of how to interpret Genesis 1, how that happened how the order of those days happen or how big a day is, 24 hours or longer. We can talk about those. That's fine. Even just this week, Andrew Wilson's been explaining his views on what Genesis 1 might mean. But we can get so lost in that, we fail to realise the fundamental aspects of Adam and Eve and the fall. We can also get lost in actually just celebrating that he created. 
We just need to celebrate the fact that creation is a part of the author's story and we get to play a part in it. That's more exciting than going on about how many millennia or billions of years. It's not a result of chance and we each have a part to play. Let's, let's have a bit of fun with numbers. Where's my numbers? We're going to play around with the letter 70. Let's celebrate creation. We might need a bit of space here. Who wants to hold up number 70 for me? Don't all rush at once. Thank you, Janet. Hold up 70. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it was take a photo. I am 70. Do you know, by the time you've reached 70, your fingernails would have grown over two metres. Amazing. That's brilliant. And in one inch, one inch of your palm, there are over 70 pressure sensors. One square inch. To mouth one word takes over 70 muscles. Amazing, isn't it? I like the word 70. That's right, you're 70% water as well, aren't you? That's amazing. Amazing. Let's stick a few noughts on it. Who wants to be my three noughts? Come on, Bill. What's that now? 70,000. Do you know in your body, your blood travels through 70,000 approximately miles of blood vessels? Flipping heck, man. It's amazing, isn't it? I love the human body. It's one of the things that attracted me to being a paramedic and then I met all the drunks on Friday nights and it put me off again. Right. Anyone's three more notes? Anyone? Thank you, April. What number's that? Come on, mathematicians. 70 what? 70 million. 70 million. There are more. Let me just check this. 70 million. Oh, no, that's the next one. It gets more exciting in a minute. 70 million in 20 years' time we'll have 70 million people on our little island alone. Look at those numbers. Scary, isn't it? Where are we going to put them all? Hey, Where are we going to put them all? All those houses being built? (laughs) (laughs) I think the idea is become a landlord. Right. Let's go for three more noughts. Who wants to put three more noughts? Let's make this number bigger. Come on, Bob. We're going to have more up here than sitting down in a minute. Let's celebrate creation. 70, what is that? Billion, very good. 70 billion. There are more nerve cells in your brain right now. There's actually 100 billion nerve cells in your brain. Who who uses many of them? (laughs) (laughs) Let's put some more noughts on it. There must be three more noughts. Come on. Come on, Julian. Why are you there? Oh, thank you, Margaret. Julian can do the next one. There might be another one in a minute. We might have to shuffle up, I think, Janet. We're running out, of, running out of room. This is 70 trillion. There are more cells in your body than that. 100 trillion cells in the average-sized human body. More in some, less in others. Let's stick three more noughts on. I oh, know. <laughs> Come on, Julian, three more noughts. Seven T quadrillion. Is that the number I'm after? Is that big enough for me yet? I think I'll add three more noughts. Who wants three more noughts? Come on, quick. Seven T quintillion. 
How big is his number? I need more. Who wants three more notes? Yeah, we'll stop it here. There we go. Last one. Go on then. All right then. 70 sextillion. That is 70 with 21 noughts after it. That is how many stars there are in the observable universe. And Jesus ignited every single one of those. And yet, there are more molecules in 10 drops of water. Isn't creation amazing? Seriously, isn't creation amazing? Well done. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. I like big numbers. Thank you. We can get excited about creation. Jesus is bigger than we realise. And in our little worlds, we can be lying awake at night, like Julian said, worrying about the person who's bothered us, and realise Jesus ignited 76 billion stars. He's caring for you, interceding for you. He saved you at the cross. You are alive in him. You can get excited about it. If you don't have a creator, you have no one to thank or praise. I've heard someone recently going, when I look at the world, I just thank the universe. <laughs> it's like thanking my dog for being a dog. She didn't have a say in it. It's bizarre, isn't it? If you don't have a creator, you have no one to thank or praise. Right, we're running out of time. Moving on. The danger of getting excited about Jesus as creator is that we forget it's not just the past tense. This is it. It's about the now and the not yet as well about the present and the future. Just quickly to finish, there's a couple of things I want to look at. Jesus as creator affects the now and Jesus as creator affects the future as well. That psalm I read earlier, Psalm 104 verse 30, So when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. They are created, not they were. They are created. The Holy Spirit... God is still involved in creation today. Birth, conception, healings. The creator is still at work, he's still involved in his creation. But note this, there's something else about the past tense. If you return back to Colossians chapter 1, where we, uh, where we were originally, where we started, there's something that's never really struck me before, until obviously I've got time to sit down and work out what Paul was doing. And now it sticks out like a sore thumb. He doesn't say, for by him all things were created, whether trees, giraffes or mountains or daddy long legs. Still not sure what they're there for, but God knows. He doesn't say that. You think he lists created things, as we think, fauna and flora. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Verse 16, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and then list the animals? No. Whether thrones, or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Why does he do that? Partly because he's speaking against false philosophies, remember? And partly because Jesus being creator affects the now in a whole other way. If all authorities and rulers were also created by him, were allowed to be in their place, in their role of status, allowed that by him, then why do we fear man? We do it sometimes, don't we? Why do we worry what people think? Why do we worry what might come our way when we know that he's in charge? Whatever comes our way in terms of authority, in terms of politics, 
Laws are changing all the time, sometimes in the church's favour, sometimes not in the church's favour. But we mustn't fear it, we must rest in him. Sometimes we need to fight and debate in the public arena, of course we do. But we don't need to fear it. We need to trust that he is in charge. It's easy to be cynical about whichever party is in power. Isn't it? It's easy to dishonour those in authority. It's a natural, sinful tendency to dishonour or disrespect those in authority. Sometimes they kind of earn it. (laughs) But we need to see them from God's point of view and still respect the role, debate with them where we need to, be honest with them where we need to, stand our ground where we need to. But there still needs to be an honour in the fact that God's above all that. We need to honour his authority, don't we? See, when the first humans, Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, they usurped God's, or tried to, in their eyes, usurped God's authority as creator. We know best. (coughs) Which is mad, because it's like the characters in the book deciding they know more about the bigger picture than the writer. Isn't it? When you think about it. But we think we know better. And by birth, we too are born in sin. You don't teach a child how to be naughty. We have to teach them how to be good. We are all born in sin. We are all sinners. And by birth, we too have rejected his authority. We too have rejected his kingship, his ownership as creator. And that's why our fallen nature is naturally drawn to the things of the world. To immediate satisfaction. To, But it makes me happy now. And forget that actually the promises of sin aren't eternal, but his promises are. Didn't we sing a song earlier about promises? can't remember what it was. Oh, it was uh, My Jesus, My Saviour, about promises. We can rest in his promise, knowing that if I resist sin now, that's not you, Lord. Jesus, the Creator, is not just the creator of all living things and leaves them to it. He's involved in systems. He's involved in society. He's involved in rulers and powers and thrones, both physical and spiritual. And in that we can rest and we can know that he can breathe life into whatever situations you find yourself in. He can breathe life into whatever habits you struggle with, whatever illnesses you struggle with, whatever relationships you find yourself in. He can breathe new life. Because the brilliant thing about Jesus is he operates a new for old policy. The God who ignited 70 and then 21 more noughts stars breathes new life into broken people. And many of us in this room can tell you our stories. Does it say 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's exactly the same applies here. He breathes new life. The Bible says he's not given up. He's not given up but he's sculpting something beautiful from what we've marred. We can celebrate that. The creator's still at work. He's not given up. When we come to Christ, we enter the new realm where Christ is king. And John, a few weeks back, explained that from verses 13 and 14 of Colossians 1, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In Christ, we're separated once more from the old order of things and brought into the new realm where he reigns. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of the changes. As Christians, we are rescued back into being an immersive part of his story, the author's story. We get to see 
our own lives transformed, we get to see other people's lives transformed, we get to see recreation, we get to see new creation in ourselves and in others. We get to see physical healings. We don't see enough still today, but we see more than we used to. Keep gunning for it. We get to see hope once more in broken people's lives when they realise they're swept up in his big story rather than a God who doesn't exist. There's a real God who cares about them. We get to submit to his authority and not resist the earthly ones or be cynical. We can learn to celebrate where he's put us. Sometimes we're in a, position, in a place for a reason. Maybe he wants you to play a certain part, a certain role. We get to celebrate new for old, new for old policy. That's the creator right now, still at work. But it gets even better because of our future, the not yet. He hasn't stopped being creator, still in the process of saving and transforming the new humanity, but see what happens later on. Revelation 21. Boom. First five verses of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. This is John speaking. Jesus is best friend on earth. Said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Skip to the next verse, verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's the creator at work. He's still got plans for the future. He's got more he hasn't done yet. The universe right now is groaning under the weight of sin. That's what Revelation 8 talks about. The groaning. It's like, when are we going to be released from this? We can't. And when we allow ourselves to, rather than reveling in sin, when we realise what it is, we feel that groaning, don't we? We feel that weight. He is and always has been unfolding his plan for rescue. Many of us, most of us in this room, have been rescued. And we can celebrate that we are free from that weight of sin when we recognise how big Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that plan for rescue was sealed at the cross nearly 2,000 years ago where the creator died at the hands of his creation. The humility there is mind-blowing. To make creation, God spoke. To make a Christian a new creation, God died. He did that for you. But in his rising from the dead, in victory, that new kingdom has already begun sprouting. It's not just about Revelation 21 date. It started now, in us and around us. One day to be fully realised forever. But since Christ dying and his rising from the dead are past events and they sealed that new kingdom... It started there. And that new kingdom, that new creation, has erupted in the midst of the fallen one. It's the now and the not yet. 
is started, yet to be fully realised, but it's started. Celebrate it. See your life from that perspective. See your workplace from that perspective. See your family, see your relationships, see your kids, see your brothers or sisters, see your parents, see your neighbours from that perspective. The new kingdom has started, the new creation has erupted in the midst of what's around us already. Isn't that amazing? Yes! Yes! I love it! Jesus is described as the author of life. That's what Peter calls him in Acts chapter 3. He's described as the author of life. It's his story. Once upon a time, in the beginning, Father, Son and Holy Spirit created something incredibly beautiful that no man could have ever imagined. We couldn't have thought all this up. Something incredibly beautiful. And that creation, us, thought we knew better. And we broke that creation. It's like giving a a beautiful toy for Christmas to a kid and the next day they haven't treated it well and they've broken it. That's what we've done, effectively. A little sin a little bit, but I hope you understand what what I mean, our attitude to it. But the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, already in control, made a way that that beauty might shine again for all who believe. And they, those who believe, and their God, will live forever, happily ever after, if you like, to summarise the story. It's not a fairy tale, it's real. We get to be swept up as part of that. Science does uphold scripture far more than they say or we believe. Enjoy it. Enjoy science. God sometimes, increasingly often, confounds science because he's the God of it. This is the real story. Just like Indiana Jones's other women weren't marrying, seeing Jesus in his rightful glory as creator who is still involved, who has your best interests at heart and will see them through, sin just doesn't have the same taste anymore. My fears are smaller, the things I worry about. Knowing our story in light of his big story gives us hope, it gives us security, it gives us identity, it gives us the ability to resist sin. No other belief or philosophy could ever realise that. Christianity is it. Not because it's my belief, therefore I must be right. It's because it's about Jesus, who existed, who died and rose again for you. The Creator, God, died for you. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, as much as I write lots and lots of noughts on bits of paper, I'm still never really going to get my head round you igniting all those stars. But Lord, I'm grateful you did. I'm grateful for what you created and everything we can see, everything we can't see. Even microscopes don't go far enough. But you created that. And you created it because you loved what you were creating. Because you wanted to relate to us. It's just another expression of your love. You were content, you didn't need us, but you chose to. And Jesus, Lord, help us to walk out of this room with a bigger perspective of you 
to be excited about what you have done, to be excited about what you do do, to be excited about what you can do and to be excited about what you will do. Lord, each of us in this room, give us that full, newer revelation of you as creator, we ask. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. (coughs) The humility of allowing yourself to die at the hands of your creation, let alone the pain, just the immensity of that notion is big enough. Jesus, let me never lose sight of that and let me never lose sight of you compared to all those other women those other things in my life, let them pale compared to you. You must increase and they and I must decrease. Jesus, creator king, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to talk about anything, come and find me afterwards. Give me a bell during the week, whatever you want to do. Teas and coffees are served.